Well, I want to tell you something right off the bat. This morning, I'm going to uh, speak, preach a message that is very similar to a message that I preached at this time last year. And I don't want you to find out somewhere else, so I'm just going to tell you straight up. I've changed a couple of things, but it's pretty similar. And here's why, is because a lot of things have changed in the last year. There's a whole bunch of things that have changed. In fact, at this time last year, I was about uh, to come back from a sabbatical. I've been off for three months, and uh, during those three months, I was really trying to stay disconnected as much as I could. And every now and then, I would phone in and, and talk to John. John's our executive pastor, John Latta. And uh, he had, his first day, I think, last year was May the 1st. And two weeks later, I went on sabbatical and left him and Zach, who's our ministry director, to kind of run with things. And so I was disconnected throughout the summer. And every once in a while, I would just check in and say, I don't want to get into any details because I'm not supposed to be. But how are things going? And they would kind of tell me, well, things are going good, um, but some things are changing. I went, oh, what's changing? Well, there's some people who are checking out the church, and um, there's some ministry opportunities that we think are going to be a little bit different, and, uh, you know, we're not trying to change things while you're gone, but just so you know, some things are shifting a little bit, and we need to be prepared for that, and I thought, okay, that's interesting, and at the same time, I, I, on my own and, and with my family, spending some time away, uh, I was just trying to pray and ask what it was that God had for Westside and where he was leading us. And I believe in those moments that God put some scriptures on my heart that he actually put on other people's heart that kind of confirmed that God was speaking to us in general about who we are as a church and who we are going to be. And over the past year, a ton of things have changed. That What, what was happening back in the summer, we saw in the fall new opportunities and, and new people and, and kind of some different shape to our community was happening. And you've heard from some of those people already this morning uh, about how they've come into this community in the last year or year and a half and, uh, and what God has been doing and, and the different things that we've been able to do. And part of that, as you now know today, uh, along the way, we started having these conversations with some, some of you, some people in Burlington uh, who were saying, hey, we're we're looking for something and, and wondering if we could maybe do something together. And some of those conversations were very informal and then led to the next one. Uh, and has led to this moment where we're here today, celebrating, exciting, excited that God is doing something here in Hamilton that's new and, and changing, but also in Burlington that we're so excited about. And this, this, this change has continued to happen. And change, even when it's exciting and even when it's hopeful and there's some really good things happening, is kind of threatening and sometimes we look into the future and we say, we don't know exactly what this is going to look like in the future. And that can be sort of scary. And we don't know uh, all the details. And sometimes it can feel like uh, what we knew and what was safe and what was secure is sort of gone from us. And even if we're looking forward to something else, it's not always easy. But some things, despite all the things that change, stay the same. And so this morning, in the light of a year where we've had a ton of change, and where some of you are even joining us today, maybe for the very first time, whether you're part of our Hamilton community or Burlington community, uh, are feeling that as a bit of a change, and there's a lot of different things. There are some things that never change. Some things remain the same. In our culture in general, very much in church in North America, but also in our culture in general, there have been tons of changes over the past few years. It's been a really hard part of a lot of people's lives. There have been pandemics and there have been cultural and social shifts that have been hard to keep up with. And in light of that, a lot of people, when they look at church trends, and when I say church trends, I don't mean just in our church, in our community, in one church, but in general, like generally speaking in North America, there have been big, big trend changes in how people are thinking about 
their relationship to church and their relationship to faith in the last few years. And I want to bring up a couple of them because I wonder if there's a whole bunch of us here in this room or watching online that have gone through some of those shifts in, in thinking and changed the way that they've thought. Maybe this is one of your first times back in church. We have an experience by a lot of people that have, have checked things out, but they've never been in church before. Some of us, it's been a shift. We had a church community and now we've rethought that and, and decided we need something different. And some of us, honestly, we've been around a long time. We've been maybe part of Westside for a very long time. But we've thought differently about what church uh, looks like or should look like or ought to look like and how our faith maybe has changed. And there's been some trends that haven't been always super positive in the last few years. But a lot of people who have observed church have noticed them and just said it's important for us to think about them. And I'm just wondering, I'm going to mention a few, if uh, maybe most of us have felt one or more of these things in the last few years. Here's three reasons why people are rethinking the relationship with church. One is because of burnout, because there's a lot of people, this is so common in church, where we've been asked to do things, and that's a really good thing. We've been asked to volunteer and to give of our energy and our resources, our, our skills and our abilities, and we've worked and worked and worked, and then we've gone through times of enormous change over the last few years. There's been a pandemic, uh, again, a bunch of shifting things after a pandemic, trying to relaunch, trying to decide what should be the same, what should be different, how do we do this? Some people haven't come back. Some people that we relied on to help us haven't come back, or they've moved on or moved to another city or whatever and some of us, we've just been going, 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 going to the point where at some point along the way, we said, I just can't do this anymore. I'm burnt out. I don't have the energy. I can't, I can't do it. It's not sustainable. A second reason is because of polarization, is we live in a culture which increasingly, it seems like people have moved to one side or another on certain issues. And unfortunately, those issues, a whole bunch of them, there's tons of them, we won't get into them, have become very divisive. And so we found that community has been really difficult. And church community has been really difficult because there are these things that we've disagreed on and that have wedged us to different sides of, of opinions and different sides of the spectrum. And not only have we disagreed on our opinions about things, but it has become like an us versus them mentality that I don't know if I can be part of a church family with people who think that or believe that or on that side of this issue when I'm on this side of that issue or issues or a whole bunch of things. And the polarization has made relationships very difficult and it's made becoming a family and a family, a community of faith very difficult for a lot of people questioning, can I still be part of the same community I was part of? Do I need something different? Where would I find people who are like me? And then third, uh, there's trust issues. And this, I don't think this is new. There's been trust issues with the church, with Christianity for probably as long as there's been a Christianity um, that people look and ask, are we any different than anybody else? Is religion just really a kind of a shell for hypocritical people that are pretending that they're better than somebody else? Trust issues, by the way, uh, I think we're seeing uh, are changing or have changed, not just in terms of religion, but this is true of politics, government. Uh, this is true of the media, that people are just, just asking more questions and maybe perhaps finding themselves more cynical of those who claim to have answers. And so maybe you have experienced one, two, or all three of these things in the last few years that just make you rethink your relationship with a church community, among other things outside of that. And when I, when I kind of observe that. And when I read different commentators on church talking about that, I realize that in that there's a lot of very real and deep feelings. Feelings where people are confused. They might feel lost. They might feel like there's opposition coming against them. There's this struggle to regain the things that they once experienced that were healthy and that brought some sort of sense of security or safety or a foundation, confidence, 
We wrestle with what the future looks like. If so much has already changed, what's the future going to look like? Are things going to continue to change? What's going to happen? And along with that comes hurt, anger, sadness, grief, all kinds of things. Especially when what uh, we felt we knew as foundational and secure has been taken away from us. And that reminds me of, of a huge theme in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, uh, which is the theme of exile. The exile for uh, the Jews in the Old Testament was perhaps the worst thing that they could have imagined. In the exile, the, the people lost all kinds of things. So exile happened when uh, the people of Israel were conquered by someone else. So one example we're going to talk about today was the Babylonians. Babylonians have become the superpower in the world in the 6th century before the Common Era, before Jesus was born. Uh, they had come in, they had overtaken Israel, and then to take them into exile, to, to kind of break up the power that they had and to make sure everyone knew who was in charge, they would take people and they would send them out of their land, uh, back into Babylon for many of them, scattered them around, and in that there was huge losses for the people of Israel. They, in exile, lost their land, which they uh, believed that God had promised them and brought them into, and now they were scattered into a foreign land. They lost their home, that which was secure to them, where their families were, where they lived, where they raised children, where things were familiar, where they uh, prospered. They were in danger of losing their culture, just here's how we do things, here's our, um, our different traditions, here's what makes us, us part of what exile did, was to break that down and to try and uh, say, hey, you are no longer part of that group, you have to assimilate into our group and our traditions and our culture and do what we tell you you ought to do and how you ought to live. They lost their religious traditions and their ability to celebrate uh, certain festivals and, and worship in a certain way, certainly surrounded by um, other gods in ways that they were supposed to worship in a very foreign way that had been restricted from them. They lost, and this was so significant, their temple. Their temple was destroyed, the place where the concentrated presence of God dwelt and where they could go and offer their sacrifices and worship and build community and know that God was with them. In fact, this is the biggest thing when you combine all all of that in exile, what they felt they had lost was their connection to God. They believed, and this is important, that as they were exiled, what exile meant was that they were outside the blessing of God. Imagine that feeling. Where is God in all of this? He's not with us anymore. The God that through all our, our prayers and all of our history and our scriptures that we depend on, that we always say, God is with us. God is with us. That's our hope. That's our security. That's our future. That's everything we're staking it on. And now we've been scattered. We've lost everything. All the things that God had promised us as part of his blessing, we no longer can check those off, feeling like we're outside of God's blessing. And then after they had been scattered in Babylon and they had lived there for 70 years. Think of 70 years. I mean, for a lot of people, if, if you were told in some of the prophets, some of the prophets actually we read in the Old Testament came along and said, oh, don't worry, you're in Babylon. I know this is terrible, but it's not going to last that long. And the prophet Jeremiah, for example, came and he said, actually, you should expect at least 70 years. Now imagine if you're 15, 20, 30, 40, what the message is that you're going to be here for 70 years. For the rest of your life, we're going to be here. This is it. But after 70 years, the people of Israel were liberated and allowed to go back into their land. Imagine just a turnaround, just being so lost and so confused, sad and angry, not being able to see a future. And then all of a sudden, you're allowed to go back. You come back into your land and you come back to a place that had been ruined, that had been wrecked. And your job now 
is to reconstruct it, is to rebuild it. It's just so intimidating. It must have been so intimidating. And so in the book of Zechariah, to the prophet Zechariah, uh, he was a prophet who got visions from God for the people during that time where they were on the verge of reconstructing things. And I just wonder for how many of us who have lived in a, a few years where so much have been torn down and so much of us have deconstructed some of the things that we thought church was or a faith was, what would it look like for us to ask some of those same questions about what it looks like to rebuild, to reconstruct our faith community? And I think for many of us, uh, we're all in different places. We've started that work, whether you're part of the Hamilton community or Burlington community, and asking, what is God's future? And with all the things that are different and all the things that have changed, what is it that stays the same for us to be able to build a foundation and to move forward? So I want to talk about this vision that Zechariah got in Zechariah chapter 4. There was a series of visions that he got, and it starts in verse 1 saying, Then the angel who had been talking with me, Zechariah, returned and woke me as though I had been asleep. So you get the idea that the prophet is kind of, he's tired. Maybe he's sort of zoned out. He's been going through this spiritual experience, and the angel comes and kind of goes, Wake up! i got to tell you this. Pay attention. What do you see now, he asked. What's the vision in front of you? And he answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. Around the bowl are seven lamps, each having seven sprouts with wicks. And I see two olive trees, one on each side of the bowl. Then I asked the angel, what are these, my Lord? What do they mean? Don't you know, the angel asked. No, my Lord, I replied. I love this part of scripture. I love this because you see he gets this vision. There's lampstand, there's some oil, there's a couple of trees. And the angel goes, see, do you know what you're looking at? And he goes... No. And I love that because most of us, if you're reading through this book and and you read that part and stopped and somebody said, hey, do you know what that means? You would go, no, I have no idea what that means. Let's skip down a little bit to verse 11. um, And we're going to come back to the, the middle section where there's some explanation. But in verse 11, it says, So then I asked the angel, What are these two olive trees on each side of the lampstand? And what are the two olive branches that pour golden oil through two golden tubes? The angel says, Don't you know? And he says, No! This is confusing. This is a really weird picture. I don't know what we're talking about. Then he said to me, They represent the two anointed ones who stand in the court of the Lord of all the earth. Okay, let's explain this because I think a lot of us would probably like Zacharias to go, isn't this kind of obvious? And you go, no, I have no idea. There's a couple of trees, there's tubes, there's oil, there's a basin, and there is some lamps. What are we talking about? Okay, in Exodus chapter 25, you have the people of Israel. They had been slaves in Egypt. God had miraculously brought them out. He was calling them to be a nation that was, this is a promise to Abraham way back, their forefather, that they would be a nation blessed by God so that they could be a blessing to the entire world. That would be their identity, the beloved of God, and not to be kept to themselves, but for the entire world to benefit from the blessing of God. And as they went out after the exodus, um, they were being called to that. They were going to wander through the desert for a while. They were going to go towards the land that God had promised them, the life of blessing that God had promised them. And one of the things they did was they built a portable 
worship center that was a precursor to their temple that when they got into the land, one day they would build. A temple is a palace, same word in Hebrew where this is written. It's a place where God is in charge, where God gets what God wants, where he is worshiped, where the God of love and grace and forgiveness dwells. And from there, everything, all of that love and grace and forgiveness flows out into the rest of the world. So they were building a portable version of that. In Exodus chapter 25, there's specific instructions on what they're supposed to build. And one of the things they were supposed to build and put in the midst of that temple was a lampstand with seven lamps or a menorah. You might be familiar with that terminology. That was a light for them. Okay, two things that this lamp was supposed to be right in where the priest would go in and and do the sacrifices and facilitate worship for the people. It, It was two things. One, they really just needed light in there to see what they were doing. It was super practical. We need light. So put a lamp stand in there so you can light the lamps and you can see what you're doing. But on a deeper level, it was symbolic of God's life-giving presence, that these lamps were supposed to always shine. The light of the world kind of idea that, that God was there, that the lamps are burning and his presence is always there amongst them. Now, what the priests had to do to make sure that the lamps didn't go out and that they had light because, practically speaking, they needed it, and because it was symbolic of this life-giving presence of God, is they had some work to do. They had to make sure that the oil never ran out. And so they would have to take oil, they would have to go in, they would have to fill the things, they would have to make sure it didn't, you know, there wasn't a lack of oil, always filled up so that we can always have light. That was a huge deal for them. Make sure that the light never goes out. Listen, when the, temple went out, when, when the temple was destroyed, when the Babylonians came in and took the, Israel, uh, the Israelites out, the Jewish people out into Babylon, it was like the light went out. It's like the light of God's presence was no longer there. Where is God's blessing among us? So here's this vision now. There's two trees. It's widely agreed that the two trees uh, that the angel says at the end of that says he's, these are the anointed ones the two anointed ones, that this is reference to two men, Zerubbabel, who is the governor. We're going to talk about him in a second. He's in charge of rebuilding the temple. And Joshua, who's the high priest at the time. These are the two anointed ones. And they're like trees. Now get the picture. There's oil that flow through the trees. And they come through tubes into the basin to make sure that the lampstand, the presence of the living God, always has oil. The oil is the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. Now see the contrast. We had a system where we had to go and we had to, we had to build the lampstand. And then we had to put in some serious work. There were these priests that had to over and over come and fill the oil. They probably got sick of it. They probably got tired of it. It depended on them to make sure that the system could keep running by making sure that they used their energy and their strength to do that work. But now we have a different kind of vision. We have a vision of trees and these trees, these olive trees, they've got the oil coursing through their veins. They're alive. And because they're alive and because they're healthy, the oil simply flows through them. And there's these golden, precious valuable tubes that bring the oil that just flows from the tree into the basin and make sure that there's always light in the temple. That which you had to strive for and work for and make sure that happened now organically flowing through the health of the trees and the tubes and lighting the light that God's presence would always be there. And it doesn't depend on you and it doesn't depend on all the work that you do. It's the presence of God freely flowing and providing for what he was doing. It's like a deep breath. 
It's organic. It's healthy. It's beautiful. Empowered, God's purpose is empowered by God's presence, not by the striving of the priests or anybody else. Let's talk about Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel's name in Hebrew literally means scattered in Babylon. So here comes Zerubbabel, scattered, literally, my name's scattered in Babylon, and he becomes the governor of the people who had just been returned to their land. His name reminds us that we had just been scattered, we had just been outside of God's blessing, we had just been wondering, is there hope, is there a future, does God, is God a liar, does he come through on his promises? And now, here's Zerubbabel, reminds us, we were scattered in Babylon, but now we're back in our land, now we're back in the land of promise, the land of blessing. And a time for rebuilding. And the vision is not that you need to work harder and do everything right and take on all the responsibility, but instead, there's going to be this beautiful, life-giving flow of God's energy. So let's back up and talk about that. Go back to verse 6. So sandwiched in between the vision that we've seen of these trees and the flow of God's spirit into the temple, God's presence, we talk a little bit about Zerubbabel. So it says, Then he said to me, This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel It is not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's army. Zerubbabel standing here with a huge task to rebuild the temple, the place where people could come and worship and once again experience God's presence and God's blessing. And the word that comes to him, this is what Zerubbabel needs to know. This is what the people who are scattered in Babylon need to know. That as we rebuild, it is not by force or by strength, but by my spirit. Those two words in Hebrew have a range of meanings, just like all of our words in English. There's a range of meanings when we're translating and saying, uh, what kinds of things does this word mean? Here's what, and they're similar to each other, force, force and strength. Some of your translations that you've read in, you might know this verse, not by might, not by power. Here's some of the things that other ways we could translate those words. Force could also mean strength. Sometimes used uh, as a way of talking about efficiency, even wealth, the money that you have, or an army. This could happen by an army or force. Strength is a similar word, but a couple of different connotations. It talks about power or ability or specifically in a reference to human power, what, what strength a human being could have. So here's Zerubbabel, his name reminding us of the starting place, that these people are scattered outside of God's presence and blessing in Babylon, apart from his presence, stuck in disorientation, stuck in confusion, grief, anger, all of those things. But he's re working to rebuild the temple. And Zachariah, uh, Zerubbabel has placed himself uh, before this task of rebuilding the temple. And the word of God comes to him and says, listen, this is a big task and you're rebuilding, not just a building, but a community of faith. And it's not going to happen by your strength or efficiency or wealth or an army or your power or ability. But instead, God says, by my spirit, not by your ability to go in and to manufacture the oil that needs to go back in and light the lamps but instead like a tree that allows God's presence to flow through you and do and come through and fulfill what God has promised to do. The New Testament writers pick up on this kind of language. By the way, Jesus always talks about it. You want to know if a tree is healthy? How can you tell? You look at its fruit. The Apostle Paul famously wrote about uh, the fruit of the Spirit. 
And I love that because you can't fake fruit. There's a lot of things you can fake in life. You can fake how you look. Uh, you can fake um, how wealthy you are. You can fake all sorts of things that are on the surface, but you can't fake fruit. The only way you get healthy fruit is if you have a healthy plant or a healthy tree. That's how it works. And that's exactly the picture that Zerubbabel was being given, the people of Israel was being given. Healthy tree produces healthy fruit. And it's not going to come by you trying to be strong and efficient and wealthy or by your military power or abilities. It's not going to be because you look so great on the outside. I think so many of us know how critical Jesus was of the religious leaders who were creating a community that, that they thought looked really good on the outside, but on the inside was toxic and was wasting away. Instead, Jesus offered for us to be trees that are healthy, that bear good fruit. How would you know if that's happening? You look for the fruit of the Spirit that Paul says is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How would you know if you're part of a healthy faith community? Are you becoming more loving? Do you have more joy than you used to have despite your circumstances? Is there peace? Are you able to slow down and be patient to rely on God? To express kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, to be self-controlled? Verse 7 says, and I love this, nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it. May God bless it. You see how important that would be for people who felt like they were outside of God's blessing for a couple of generations, for a lifetime for some of these people saying as this is being built and nothing's going to be stand up. Zerubbabel's building this thing and he's going to do it just brick by brick. This huge thing's going to be built and the people are calling out, may God bless it, may God bless it. Wholeheartedly, we want God's presence to be there. We want his goodness and faithfulness to be there. We want his blessing to, to be at the center of our community. This isn't just that somebody sneezes. God bless you. May God bless this with all that he is, all of his goodness to inhabit that so that that, that shapes our entire community. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. A couple of things there. Uh, one of the things is that it's said in terms of Zerubbabel, back in verse 7, not even a mighty mountain will stand in his way. There's debate on what that is a reference to. Some people think that that's a reference to the mountain of rubble that was the old temple that had been destroyed. Some people think that the mountain just refers to general opposition, that problems are going to come up. People aren't going to like this. They're going to try and stop him. They're going to try and stop the building. It's not always going to be easy. There's going to be tons of obstacles and struggles. Maybe both are true. But the past nor the future will not be a big enough mountain, will not be a big enough obstacle to stop what God is doing in building this temple. And then when we come down to verse 10, he says... And don't despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hands. In other words, there are no mountains too big or beginnings too small. There's nothing too big to oppose what God is going to do to build his kingdom. 
And there's no step too small to start joining him in that. Another way you could put this few verses, I think, is for Zerubbabel and those who would be following him and those who would be looking onwards is to say, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Oh, but how are we going to rebuild? Look at, look at all the destruction in our past. Look at how big of a building, how big of a temple we're supposed to be making and creating here. And don't you know, we're just at the very, very beginning and we're not strong enough and we don't have enough resources and there's just so much to do, but there is no mountain too big and there is no beginning too small. Be encouraged at what God is doing among you. Keep going brick by brick by brick. Keep on building. Not in your strength. Not in your wealth. Because what is going to make this kind of community worthwhile and transformative and meaningful is not going to be a bunch of people who are really talented. It's not going to be people who have a lot of money. It's not going to be people who, who have uh, the most great abilities or the shiniest personalities. It's not going to be a bunch of bells and whistles and things that look good on the service. It will be the presence of God coursing through healthy trees. Can I tell you this? The ultimate Zerubbabel is Jesus. The prophet, he sees this vision and the angel says, God loves to see Zerubbabel with the plumb line in his hand. The plumb line is what makes sure the foundation is level, that you build off of a strong foundation because everything that comes on top of that foundation is going to go in the same shape. If you start with a foundation that's a little bit off, when you, by the time you get the top, the entire thing is crooked. Nothing works. The doors won't even shut. Zerubbabel with the plumb line is beautiful, but even better is Jesus is the foundation of everything that we do. How, how will we ever seek to live in a place where the Holy Spirit, where we're open and dependent to his power coursing through our veins as a community, only as we build our foundation on Jesus, as we follow him, as we trust him, as we obey him, as we seek to love the way that he loved as we seek to accept the blessing that he accepted into his life when he is baptized and he heard his father say that he is his beloved child. It's the voice all of us need to hear. It's the voice that the world needs to hear that God's blessing, God's presence is upon you. You are his beloved and to live out of that belovedness. A lot of things change and a lot of things have changed but God's faithfulness remains the same. It never changes. God is building his kingdom. He will always continue to build his kingdom. It was Jesus' announcement, Jesus in his ministry announcing to people, the kingdom of heaven is now at hand. You can experience it. You can live in it. The way God gets what God wants the interesting thing is, as Zerubbabel was building a temple, Jesus was pretty critical of the temple, not just for the sake of it, but because what was happening there had once again become corrupt. And Jesus was showing a new way that the building, although it was important, it was never about the building. It was never about, we have to come to this one place. But actually, God wants his spirit to invade and inhabit all of us. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 2. Speaking to a community of people following Jesus, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor because no beginning is too small and a crucifixion is a very seemingly insignificant start. It seems like it's the end actually. And you, 
You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you were his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifice that please God. What is it that builds up a spiritual community? It's not the cinder block. It's not the stones that build a physical temple, but it is, it's you. It's me. It's us together. Depending on the power of the Holy Spirit to change us and transform us, to give us God's blessing so that we too can bless the world as we let the oil, the presence of God, his spirit flow through us and into the world. Returning from exile ultimately, this is what Jesus showed, wasn't about building a temple, but building up a people who are blessed to bless. People who woke up to the reality that God's presence and blessing was in fact upon them. So today we stand at what I think is a pretty exciting moment in the history, the story of Westside Church. And whether you're in the Hamilton community, part of the Burlington community, we come together as one family. And there might be a lot of things that change. There may be a lot of things that we're not sure about in the future. But here's one thing that will never change. Is that we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is who we are as the beloved children of God, blessed to bless the world. Perhaps you've come today and you feel like uh, a lot has, has been destroyed and taken apart in our lives. And you feel like there's so much work to be done. There's mountains in front of us and it's only a small beginning. That may be true, but let me tell you today, there are no mountains too big and there are no beginnings, no steps that are too small as we follow Jesus and build on his love. But if that's you, I want you to know that this is a community you can come and find healing and grace and help and support. In fact, even this morning and every morning up front here, we're going to have some people, if you just need to be prayed for, maybe you just, you're really feeling that in this season of your life, uh, come up and there'll be people here to pray for you. We want to journey with you. Feel free to come and, and sit on Sunday mornings and to receive God's grace and to bask in it and not to feel like you have to uh, jump ahead and, and do, 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 or, or all of a sudden just launch into a super busy season of the year and, and make sure that you're, you're doing all the things you have to do at church. Maybe this is a season for you where you need to come and find rest and God's grace poured back into you for a time. For some of us, maybe we feel a little bit stronger. Maybe we're a little bit further along in reconstructing. And if that's you, I would encourage you just to be thinking and praying about how you can be a stone building this community that you would join us in prayer, that you would join us in thinking about how you could give of your abilities in the strength of God, not of yourself, to help build up other people in a community of blessing. But today, what I really want to do uh, is I want to bless Westside Church. And I think we don't think too deeply in our culture very often about how important blessing is. Uh, again, I said it before, sometimes it's like the, somebody sneezes and, oh, God bless you. Or you're leaving somebody after spending some time with you and you say, God bless, and you walk away. Listen to what Henry Nouwen says about blessing. He says, to give someone a blessing is the most significant affirmation we can offer. It is more than a word of praise or appreciation. It is more than pointing out someone's talents or good deeds. It is more than putting someone in the light. To give a blessing is to affirm, to say yes to a person's belovedness. To give a blessing creates the reality of which it speaks. Today, wholeheartedly, I want you to know that you are God's beloved and that we live in his presence and in his blessing. No matter what the circumstances tell us, no matter how we might feel about it.
So there's a famous blessing from Numbers chapter 6. You may have heard it. It goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. As I close today, I want to pronounce that blessing upon you and just give a few more words. Um, some of this uh, I've taken and adapted from something Dallas Willard wrote, uh, who is a wonderful philosopher and teacher. And as we do this today, I want to invite you, even in a small way, if you're just ready to receive that blessing from God, you can, um, you can outwardly display that. Even if you just want to turn your palms up in a posture of receiving today, if you want to, you can close your eyes as you concentrate. But may this be God's blessing upon you and upon us as we enter this exciting season together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God bring good constantly into your life. May he protect you and provide for you, watching over every step you take and giving you help in your moments of weakness, sadness, and desperation. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May his face, would that his face light up like a parent or grandparent who is enamored with their child in your presence. May you know that he delights in you and that you are his beloved child. May the radiance of his love enliven you and give you joy. May his glory shine on you and transform you. May God be gracious to you. And would you understand that every good thing in life is his gift. May you know that you are not a product of what you can do, what you have, or what people think about you. Instead, you can rest in his grace. May the Lord turn his face towards you. May God meet you face to face. May he give you his attention and meet you where you're at. May his loving gaze be evidence that he is for you, that you are seen and heard and welcomed into his presence, that he is presence in all of your moments. And may he give you peace, a deep sense of wellness that roots your soul in God harmony in your innermost self, even when things might be outwardly chaotic, confidence and hope that all is well, that we might trust that everything is in the hands of God. In Jesus' name.